0: This is the Legacy Wealth Code Podcast, helping you build long-term wealth and a lasting legacy through real estate investing, tax strategies, and motivational stories from some of the most successful and influential people out there. Here are your hosts, real estate investor and entrepreneur, Michael Notbaum and real estate investor and attorney, Andrew Hook.
1: Hey guys, welcome to the Legacy Wealth Code Podcast, episode number four. Today, Andrew and I, my partner in crime, are gonna go through... Something that really changed our entire business, but cost segregation and bonus depreciation, answer some questions that commonly come up and really just kind of dive into what it's done for our investment business, for our clients, you know, for the people taking the Legacy Wealth Code course with us. I mean, it's just been a game changer. So I hope you guys enjoy this. If you've got questions, feel free to email us or even in the comments of the actual podcast itself. Happy to help out with any questions that you may have because. There's definitely a lot of really good information here. And I think as you see, you know, almost regardless of where you are in your investment journey, this can be a total game changer for you.
0: So why don't we start kind of with a little bit of the history as far as cost segregation is concerned and then how it kind of, I would say, blew up over time. I mean, if we look back, I mean, and you talk to the professionals, this has been something that has been around for a long time cost segregation has been a tool that's utilized probably more so on large large projects and large developments and historically than it is now where it's kind of becoming more commonplace. But you know one of the things I think is interesting is the fact that it was really kind of the change under the Trump administration for bonus depreciation to apply and then the subsequent articles, that were coming to light as far as the Trump tax returns that really highlighted some of the, how key these benefits really are.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're talking about people that are able to have enormous amount of income. You know, I think Trump had one year, it was like $390 million or something close to it. And he paid, I think almost no taxes. It might've been a couple hundred thousand dollars in taxes. And so, you know, from the average American looking in going, well, that doesn't seem right. Everyone should be paying their fair share. All he was doing is just taking advantage of the tax law that's already there. And the tax law is there for a reason. It's not there as a loophole. You know, a lot of times people think that these are some kind of shady thing that you're doing. It's not that at all, really. It's basically, you're taking advantage of the tax law because the government's incentivizing you to do things that they don't want to do.
0: Yeah, and I I mean, we always go back to that same statistic of the fact that you know if the tax code is 5000 pages long 98% of it is geared at you know what you can do while only 2% is geared at what you can't do and everybody hyper focuses on that 2% as opposed to you know trying to utilize the 98% that's there to actually help you take advantage of the tax code so well,
1: the government's done a good job of scaring the crap out of
0: people yeah i mean they do that well so jumping back to the history for a second i mean in some of the professionals we've talked to, you know, we hear about the old days where cost segregation was literally done on a contingency fee basis. So, you know, you, the, whoever was conducting the study was literally taking a percentage of the savings. And I mean, you know, when contingency fees are involved, that's, those are large pots to come out of, right? And so, I mean, that shows how much of the tax savings there really is. And so, you know, I think again, when you talk about, the changes in the tax code to apply bonus depreciation where you can literally roll all of this depreciation up front and front load it all then you know you you're talking about absolutely massive tax savings that allow you to reinvest your money and put money back into expanding your portfolio
1: well and i think you know maybe let's take a step back for a second and just kind of give like a high level overview of what it is sure you know cuz there may not be people overly familiar with it So essentially what cost segregation does is instead of you depreciating an asset, you know, like a residential property is 27 and a half years. So instead of dividing that depreciation over 27 and a half years, you know, things like your carpet, your fixtures, electrical roof, plumbing, those aren't going to last 27 and a half years. So they allow you to put them into buckets where they're, you know, like a five-year asset. And then you can accelerate that depreciation all the way up and take all of it in year one, which is the bonus depreciation component. Uh And that was a game changer for you know, especially in real estate. I mean, you're talking about most things, you can't depreciate the land, but most things depreciate very quickly in terms of like when you're looking at these buckets, where you're able to get a huge amount in year one depreciation. And we'll actually share with you a couple of the reports and Stuff that we've done recently, and how you know these tax savings equate to real dollars in our pocket that we're able then to instead of sending a check to Uncle Sam, we're able to, you know, reinvest in other real estate projects. But right. the the cost segregation component—it's funny because if you talk to CPAs that understand this, and they've been working with an investor that's been doing regular standard depreciation, you actually have to check a box on the tax return that says. I admit I've been doing this wrong, and I want to do it the correct way, and cost segregating it is actually the way that government wants you to do it, Right. but they're not enforcing it because they know the standard way they're going to end up with way more money from everyone.
0: Right. Yeah. No, exactly. I mean, it, it's really wild when you take a look at some of these numbers, and as you said, we'll jump into some of the examples and what the actual money back from the IRS is that looks like and and that's really wild. But you talked early on, Mike, about how this has sort of changed the scope or the course of our investment business. And I think, you know, if you look back at I think how most people start investing, including ourselves, it's how do you start to generate the income, you know, and, and how do you invest to make money off of a project and that becomes the sole focus. And so if you're looking at, you know, whether it be wholesaling, whether it be fix and flip, you're always trying to figure out how do I make this revenue? But then the back end problem is now I've got a tax problem, especially as you grow those businesses, because all of a sudden you're like, man, I, I had a really good year and Uncle Sam comes knocking and wants their portion of everything. And now you've got a problem because you've got to make sure that you can pay that tax bill. And so, you know, I think for us early on, we weren't even really thinking about the tax side of things. We were just thinking, you know, Let's make excellent revenue, yeah,
1: build some capital,
0: and then, as you solidify that foundation, then the question starts to become, and it has to become how do I deal with the tax problems that I now have and you know that's where I think the change in our position has become is because you know thinking about this from a global perspective or, or a long term perspective, it's literally encouraging us to buy more property but do it in a fashion of not selling it per se, but cash flowing that property. And that's allowing us to build the portfolio, which is how we build, of course, long-term wealth.
1: Well, and you hit on the head, you know, it's become a game for us now. January is, okay, how much do we anticipate we're going to make this year? And then now we back into the number of how much stuff do we have to buy and cost seg, bonus depreciated, so that we don't have to pay a huge tax bill.
0: Yeah. Why don't why don't we give a couple of practical examples? I mean, I I literally have in front of me the preliminary reports that we get from the cost segregation company that we use, who by the way is incredible to work with, cost segregation authority. But practical examples and and I think, you know, seeing how this plays out probably answers some of the questions and and potentially even begs some additional questions for listeners. But, you know, starting with what I would call the the more simple one. So in twenty nineteen, we acquired an apartment complex in South Carolina. The apartment complex cash flows. It it pays all of its expenses. It puts some money in our pocket every year. It's on a tight amortization schedule. It should be paid off in no more than about 10 years from now. And we applied cost segregation to this property. And I'm reading directly from the port now. Based on our preliminary assessment, we anticipate increasing depreciation for the first year by $164,726, resulting in an estimated federal and tax state tax savings for the same period of $56,281, depending on your actual tax rates. So that literally means that this prop by cost segregating this property, that saved us almost fifty-three thousand dollars in tax payments to the IRS. And if you look at
1: and your and We're making money on it
0: every month. And if you look at what our down payment was on that property, that's almost 50% of the down payment on that property coming directly back to us. So we've recouped that and now we can turn that in to another property, buying another property. Again, build the portfolio. This helps tremendously in that aspect. I mean- Instead of trying to find cash to buy more properties, we've just had it's just been landed in our pocket because of because of how we're doing approaching it from the tax code perspective well,
1: and these reports you know like going back to what you said in the beginning, when seg first came out or when it was really utilized at a high level, the niche really was big commercial buildings sure you had like a crew come out, they would spend a few days there, they're going through everything they give you the report well, that's not going to be applicable to a small residential house right. But it's changed now to where they can do virtual. You know, they use. You know, most houses have similar. You know, finishes, so they already know the depreciation schedule. Like, does this house have? You know, is, you know, when was the electrical done? What is the is a roof shingle or is it tile? And they just have the formula, so they don't even have to go through and actually redo a whole lot. I mean, it's it's duplicatable. Yeah. So now these reports are like five hundred bucks. You know, well,
0: these ones are a little bit more, but you can do them yeah, for that. Yeah, hundred
1: to maybe two thousand, right? You know, twenty five hundred on, on the high end, where back in the day it was twenty thousand.
0: Well, and you also think too. I mean, the conversations that we've had with cost segregation authority is that since COVID, they can do many of these site visits virtually. Right. So yeah, instead of your iPhone, instead of paying the report cost plus costs, so which you know it might've used to cost uh, for this property, for example, that might've cost us $8,000 back in the day.
1: Right. Cause they're going to fly guys out there.
0: Yeah. Instead it was 3000 ish and we got $60,000 in tax savings. Who isn't going to spend $3,000 to get $60,000 back? I mean, it's a no brainer. So yeah. the, I mean, the other thing too, that I think is so clutch about this is that when we talk about it on a large scale, like a Donald Trump again, everybody's just sort of like, it's this foreign, like, well, I'm not going to go buy a golf course or build a luxury resort. I mean, those aren't practical for the everyday human. It's practical for billionaires, but it's not practical for the everyday person. These that we're talking about right now are very practical. I mean, let's look at the one, the other one here, this, this very office building that we're sitting in today, again, practical purpose. It houses our title company. It houses the law firm. It, we we have secondary tenants in here who help pay the mortgage on the property. These are all very real, normal purchases that people are making in their everyday life. But again, reading from the Cost Segregation Authority report on this one for this property, and this property was acquired in 2021. It is an, a pure office building that houses some of our staff and some additional tenants. Based on the preliminary assessment, we anticipate increasing depreciation for the first year by $207,079, resulting in estimated federal and state tax savings for the same period of $63,000. So,
1: $63,000 real dollars in your pocket. You know, like that 207000 number is a number you deduct directly from your income when you're a real estate
0: professional. Yeah, and resulting in your savings. You know, and again, it depends on your actual tax rate, of course, but- those are real practical examples. And I mean, again, that's, you know, the down payment on this building was a little bit more, of course, but that still takes a good chunk of the down payment that we made or that we paid. It puts it back into our pocket to now allow us to go acquire more stuff at the end of the day. And I mean, if you think, I mean, that's the, the stories that always blow my mind are the ones that, you know, the car washes, And the mobile home parks and the gas stations that do so well under these reports from a depreciation perspective and the examples that we've heard from the tax professionals and the cost segregation professionals is that there are examples where you literally get a 100% of your down payment back. Because you can depreciate.
1: I mean, if you bought a car wash for $500,000, you get a $500,000.
0: Yeah, uh, exactly. Sorry, not your down payment, your entire purchase. That is mind boggling to think about. It's like you literally just got a free property.
1: Right. Now, the couple things that have changed, there is a step down. So so Trump, was it 2017 it came out? I think 2016.
0: The legislation? Yeah, correct.
1: So 2017 came out and basically there was a step down. So you got this 100% bonus depreciation that expired at the end of 2022. So now there's a five-year step down. So you got 80% in 2023, 60, 40, 20, until it phases out, unless new legislation's introduced, you know, which of course got elections coming up in a couple of years. So it's all part of the, that whole piece of the puzzle, where when you're a little kid and you're trying to figure out who you're going to vote for, or maybe it's your first time. voting. It's like, once you start seeing some of these things actually affect you, yeah. it's like, okay, I know where <laughs> I know where I'm going. So, okay. you know, food for thought on that, but. So let's talk a little bit about some myths, frequently asked questions that we get, you know, and this was one really that we even had to ask ourselves when we first really started immersing ourselves in this and understanding it much more, as we said, how come our CPA has never brought this up to us?
0: Yeah. Well, and hopefully our CPA isn't <laughs> listening, but if, yeah, ex-CPA, <laughs> but if he if he is, maybe it'll be a lesson, but we're personal friends with our ex-CPA, but our XCPA fit the mold of a typical tax preparer, right? They're checking boxes while Make they're sure doing, while they're doing hundreds, if not thousands, of returns. They're not focused on, you know, what's going to save Andrew and Mike thousands of dollars in federal tax savings. They're focused on, I got a, I've got a tax deadline that's a hard date. And I've got hundreds of people that are depending on me to meet it. So whatever I've got to do to get that done. I mean, the and one of the things we always talk about is the mindset, right? So change your mindset as to who you're working with, because there really are these people that understand this well, and they will work with you to show you how you actually do this. And it's, it will be life-changing.
1: Right. Well, you figure guys like, you know, we keep referencing Trump and the, you know, these billionaires that are doing this. They've got tax teams, they've got people that are literally strategists, that that that's their whole job, but the same exact things that they're doing are available to everyone. And there's CPAs now that we work with, and you know we're happy to share their information with anybody that wants it. But basically, they're CPAs that focus on real estate investors that they've told us that the report card for them is the tax return. So versus checking boxes and making sure it's filled out by a certain date, they're looking at it like, okay... In the beginning of the year, we strategized and planned. How do we make sure that you're going to pay little or no taxes this year legally? What do we need to do? And then did we execute on that plan? And to me, that was the biggest game changer. I mean, it's when you have somebody who's a CPA and I mean, even Justin, he travels the country teaching other CPAs right. how to do this because a lot of them just, you know, they're really just pushing paper.
0: Yeah. No, hundred percent. I was, you know, I was chuckling. The other day when we saw Bill and he started in on that conversation, about, I heard about this tax thing that I can do. Um, and before he could even finish the, the words on author, yeah, cost segregation, you know, and, and he said the same thing. My, I had to literally show my CPA a video. And let him research it, and then he came back and said, "Okay, this is legit. You oh, can, wow, do can do it. Yeah, you know, but it's not in front of them, and they're just not focused on it because they're focused on whatever their next deadline is. So,
1: so then the next thing that often comes up, you know, regarding this is, well, all you're doing is pushing it down the road. That depreciation has to be repaid. It's going to be recaptured when you sell the property. So, of course. The short answer is yes, it does have to be either repaid or you have to do a 1031 exchange or move it into an opportunity zone. I mean, there's there's a lot of different things. But even if you just take the 1031 out of the equation for a second and you just pay it, most likely your long-term capital gain is going to be less than what you're tax bracket percentage is going
0: to be anyway. Yeah. I mean the recapture rate on that is is almost always going to be less than your ordinary income rate. So I mean that's a no brainer. I mean that alone I think should dispel of that myth. But the other part of it is kicking the can on taxes is a tax strategy in itself. Right, Right. You're keeping your money. If I don't have to pay it this year, why would I pay it this year? You know, if I have to pay it next year, well, then I'll make up some additional things or got to figure out some other things. I got to readjust to pay it next year, but right I don't have to pay strategy
1: it now. Of, okay. How much do I need to buy? What right. do I need to buy property wise this year so that I can minimize that tax
0: burden. And it's the old adage of, I mean, a dollar today is, is worth more than a dollar tomorrow. Right. So having that money in my pocket and retaining that is still better than giving it out now. So, I mean, that to me is one of those, like, that's a lazy myth that I think, again, the people that don't want to educate themselves on it, they're going to default to that, but it's easy to quash that.
1: But then the, the one that most people do is they do a 1031. Yeah. And the way a 1031 works is you have a property, you trade it for a like property, and you basically push that depreciation down the line. The thing that most people either don't believe or don't know is that when you die, that basis is eliminated to anybody that you leave your properties to. So if you did this for 50 years and you ended up accumulating hundreds of properties with depreciation on all of them, the day you die, that depreciation disappears. Right. It no longer has to be repaid.
0: Yeah. Think about that legacy you've left. Right. Yeah.
1: And that's what it's about. I mean, that's why that you know, well, why do these exist? I mean, let's be honest. Who do you think's petitioning the tax law? You know, people that are, making minimum wage or people that are millionaires and billionaires that want to create that legacy, leave something for their family and continue it on forward. Sure. I mean, it's not rocket science and it's just about taking advantage of it. Everyone has the potential to do it. And for like we talked about a million times, it's totally changed every part of our business. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about some of the other things that do play a part in this in order to take this. So you have, active income. And if you're a real estate professional and there's, you know, if you Google real estate professional, you can easily see what the qualifications are for it. You can offset any of your income that you make through cost seg. As the real
0: estate, the real estate yeah, professional. Yeah, correct. So, I mean, and that's an important distinction, of course. I mean, you know, we have partners in some of these properties that are not real estate professionals and, you the tax savings to them is still very real.
1: Because they can offset passive income. Correct. So any of the rental income that they're making or any other side businesses that they have, they can offset that income.
0: And it's important to understand the real estate professional designation, right? I mean, you're gonna you're gonna sign off on your tax return that you qualify and you meet the requirements, and that's that's a conversation for another day as far as the qualification, because we could spend a whole podcast on that too. But and
1: keep in mind, I, the only thing I will say is that people that say, "Well, I have a few properties," and you know, "Oh, well, do you have a property manager?" Well, yeah, yeah, you know, so it's like you you really want to know what those qualifications are and abide by them because it's the most heavily litigated part.
0: Of the IRS. And I mean, it also begs the question as to, you know, uh, that we get all the time how do you get work yourself around that or how do you make that happen? And, you know, we've, you recently had a client that, you know, had, it was a physician type deal where, you know, one spouse stays at home, one spouse works and, and, you know, qualifying the secondary spouse to become basically a a property manager, full time property manager allows you to now take advantage of that real estate professional designation. Right. And, and together. Yeah.
1: And they get to offset his W-2 income as an anesthesiologist. Yeah. With, you know, the depreciation on, a, it was like a $2.9 million property. Yeah. And I, I can't remember the exact numbers. I, I have it somewhere, but it, it was somewhere like three hundred and eighty dollars or $400,000 in year one depreciation. And he could not believe it. He's like, this is... The craziest thing I've ever seen. So basically, his income went down, you know, probably pretty close to zero. Yeah. You know? And so where he used to used to pay what what would that be one hundred and fifty, one hundred and seventy thousand dollars in taxes, and now you're paying zero. I mean, that's a huge yeah. game changer.
0: What you know, one of the great double edged swords of the world, I think, is being a high earning W two A high W-2 wage earner, I should say. Right. Right. I mean, you're from a, from a qualification perspective on any loan, you're a slam dunk. You, you have things that are, that are very easy for you to get access to capital, but you have a heck of a time finding any loopholes or tax savings because you're just, you're taxed each pay period basically across the board. And so, you know, if in these scenarios where you have one very very high earning w2 spouse and another one who you can figure out how to qualify him as a real estate professional now we're talking about you know a game changer for that w2 right. earner because they've they've probably never seen an ability from a tax savings perspective like that
1: well that and then the you know so so say your wife does work or you're not married and you're still trying to figure out is there any other way around this The only other one that we've found that is, you know, tried and true and it works. And, you know, if you get audited and you have the right paperwork in order, you're going to be just fine is short-term rentals. So if you're managing a short-term rental, the average stay is less than seven days for the, you know, for the year, meaning it's not a long-term tenant. You're not just renting it out to a snowbird that's here for six months and then you keep it. So as long as it is a true short-term rental. It's then viewed as active income, and you can offset your other active income through the losses of it. Mm-hmm. so you can depreciate a short-term rental and offset standard w two income yeah as long as you meet those qualifications,
0: yeah, I mean again, it's it's such a game changer across the board, and I mean to not be taking advantage of it is really just putting your head in the sand,
1: yeah, I would say absolutely reach out to us if you have any questions. It's funny because my thirteen year old i I think back to when I was that age and She'll hear me on the phone, and I get so excited talking about <laughs> cost segregation and bonus depreciation. And I kind of, I, get, I hang up and thinking, "Am I really this boring of a person <laughs> now? Like am I this excited about taxes? Like this is crazy." But when you see what it does, you know the whole goal of this is build long-term wealth through real estate, create a lasting legacy. Yeah. And if this isn't the vehicle that can supercharge that, then I I don't know what is. I mean, it's already there. If you're buying and investing in real estate and you're not doing this, you're literally leaving thousands and thousands of dollars on the
0: table. Yeah. Well, as you said, you know, lots of questions that surround this, and this isn't something that you should just take from this podcast and go say, I'm going to go do it. You got to, you got to dig in, reach reach out to us, talk to, you know, if you want a CPA that...
1: Future podcasts will definitely have Eric on from the Law Authority. He's great. I mean, you talk about somebody who knows that this stuff inside and out, I mean, he's awesome. But just kind of wet the whistle with this podcast because yep. it's definitely been a game changer for us, and we hope that everyone takes a minute, does some of their own research, and we'd love to hear some success stories. That uh, hopefully this
0: send those in because the real life examples I think are what brings us to life. Again, it doesn't have to be you buying the Taj Mahal to do this. It can be your. It can be your your the first property that you own that maybe you rent. You know, it could have been your first house that you now rent. That's a perfect example of something that is now worthwhile to cost seg and is going to put thousands of dollars back in your pocket.
1: Absolutely. So looking forward to future episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in and we will see you soon.
0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Legacy Wealth Code podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe now and
1: never miss an episode. Until next time, onward.